book of Genesis in your Bibles this evening, chapter number 45. This morning, we started off the new year by looking at Psalm 25. For those of you who were not uh, here in the auditorium this morning, we looked at the, the 25th Psalm, a little bit of a Bible stuff, a flow of truth in that Psalm, and uh, we uh, saw an encouragement to keep our eyes on God as life happens to us. And uh, life does happen to us, and uh, it brings us curves. Life throws us curveballs, and when life throws us curveballs, we have to make sure we keep our eyes on God and pray through the surprises and challenges. And we saw that in, in the David's 25th Psalm this morning. This evening, I want to kind of take off on a, an application of that, often when dealing with a curveball in our lives, we view the situation with information and feelings that are present at the moment of the curveball being thrown at us, the situation that, uh, that we've encountered, and, and we deal with that in the present. That's the only time we can deal with it, when it comes at us. And in the present, when we're going through the situation, going through the challenge, the struggle, we're wrapped in the feelings and the information that we have at that moment in time. Uh, however, later in life, we sometimes come to a point where we look back on that earlier experience, and from the vantage point of, uh, of a passing of time looking back, we see it very differently than we saw it while we were enduring it. The emotions perhaps have subsided, some additional information has come to light, and we reinterpret our past. And we look at that earlier situation through a different set of eyes. And this evening we're going to see a story, the story of a man by the name of Joseph, and two points in his life where he reflected on some situations that he had gone through. One of those times when he commented on the situations that he had gone through, his nerves were still raw, his emotions were still very, very difficult. And he described the situation in a certain way. Then there was another time in his life where he described the same situation, but he described it in a much, very, much different way. From a very different emotional standpoint and a very different knowledge standpoint, then he reinterpreted his past. And I think there's a practical lesson for me and for all of us in, in the experience of Joseph. And that is learning how to handle situations that we go through in such a way that the present information and the present emotions are tempered with some truths about God that can help us to take that curveball in stride. Well, the story of Joseph, of course, uh, begins much earlier than Joseph. It begins with uh, a man by the name of Abraham, to whom God had made a covenant that God was going to bless his seed. And God did. God gave him a son by the name of Isaac. 
And God repeated to Isaac the promise covenant that he had made with his father. Then God gave to Abraham a grandson by the name of and the, the grandson Jacob also had the promises repeated to him. The promise that God had made to his grandfather Abraham. In time, God changed Jacob's name. He changed his name to Israel. And he became the person, the prince, through whom God was going to expand the promise that he had made uh, generations earlier to Abraham. Jacob, renamed Israel, had 12 sons who were then the 12 sons of Israel. They grew up, got married, had kids, and became the 12 families of Israel. Those families expanded into the 12 tribes of Israel. And the whole history of the, the Abrahamic covenant was branched out into that large family that turned into a nation, the nation of Israel. Well, of the 12 sons that Jacob had, his 11th son was a man by the name of Joseph. And Joseph had one younger brother by the name of Benjamin that was born after him, completing the 12 sons of Israel. Joseph became a favored son in a home of sibling rivalry. And, and we would look at that situation as not a, a good situation coming from dad and mom. Not a wise situation with regards to, uh, to allowing the kind of rivalry that existed amongst the siblings. As a matter of fact, the sibling rivalry came because of dad. Because dad loved Joseph more than he loved the other children. And he favored Joseph. And he treated Joseph differently. And he gave to Joseph privileges that the others did not enjoy. To Joseph, he gave a, a, uh, a coat of many colors, a prized gift from his dad that stirred the jealousy of his 11 brothers. And they began to hate him after the coat of many colors was given. They began to hate their brother. And that hatred that grew out of the sibling rivalry became worse and worse. And it was, it, it, it was accentuated by Joseph himself sharing with them some dreams that he had had. A dream of sheaths of grain that, uh, that represented the dad and the mom and the twelve sons. And, and everyone's sheath bowed down to Joseph's sheath and honored him. And then he told them about the dream that he had of the sun and the moon and, and, uh, and twelve stars. And, and the sun and the moon and eleven of the stars bowed down to Joseph's star and honored him. And so the hatred of these 11 sons towards their brother intensified. And even the dad commented very negatively about him uh, sharing this dream and asking him if he really thought his dad and his mom and everyone was going to bow down to him. And so this family situation kind of... Uh, Swirled down out of control until finally the brothers said, we've had it. We're done with him. And while they were out doing the work of the family 
with the livestock, they saw their brother coming. He had been sent on an errand. And as they saw him approaching from a ways off, they began to talk amongst themselves about what they were going to do to this dreamer when he, when he gets to them. And they decide they're going to murder him. They're going to be done once and for all with their brother. But one of the brothers had pity and convinced the other brothers not to murder him, but to do the next best thing. And that sell him as a slave. And, and there was a, they were in an area where there were merchant men and caravans that came from the, from the east to heading towards Egypt that traveled through that part of the world. And, and, and they found a caravan of merchant men who were heading to Egypt and they sold their brother into slavery and watched him drug off in chains to Egypt. Of course, they had to have something to tell dad, so they, they killed an animal, they took his coat of many colors, they dipped it in the blood of the slain animal, they took it back to dad and they said, Dad, we don't know what happened to your son, our brother Joseph. But here's his coat, Do you rec- is this his? Do you recognize this, dad? Is this really Joseph's coat? Oh yeah, that's Joseph's coat. And they believed that an animal had tore him into pieces and left his Ragged coat of many colors stained in blood. And dad mourned the death of his son, Joseph. Well, you know the story how that Joseph ended up traveling to Egypt and was sold by the merchantman to Potiphar. Potiphar happened to be the officer to Pharaoh. And Potiphar purchased Joseph and made him a slave in his household. And God blessed Joseph. And God allowed everything Joseph did to prosper. And everything that Joseph put his hand to turned out well. And Potiphar recognized that. And Potiphar saw that whatever he gave Joseph the responsibility of caring for, that God blessed it. And so in turn, Potiphar received the blessings that flowed through Joseph's life from the hand of God. And so Potiphar began to Promote Joseph. And Joseph ended up being the steward over all of Potiphar's possessions. And everything that happened with regard to anything that was under Potiphar's domain was handled by Joseph. And Potiphar was blessed exceedingly because of Joseph's stature, his character, his work, and God's blessing of him. Until a wicked woman, who happened to be Potiphar's wife, told a lie about Joseph. And her husband believed the lie that she told. And Joseph went from being a trusted, honored employee, steward of Potiphar's, to a criminal in one vicious lie. And so Joseph was thrown into prison. A special prison where Pharaoh's prisoners were kept. And he's under lock and key in prison because it is believed that he had done horrible actions toward Pharaoh's wife. And so Joseph, who had been hated by his brothers, whose brothers attempted to murder him and 
were dissuaded and ended up selling him into slavery, now finds himself, through no cause of his own, in prison in Egypt. And yet, Joseph was still the man of character that he'd always been. And so God blessed what he did in the prison. He treated people right. And the guard of the prison, the steward of the prison, recognized that Joseph was an exemplary man who seemed to be blessed by God, whatever God, whoever God is. And so the, the leader of the, of the prison, the prison guard, began to elevate Joseph to more and more responsibility there within the prison. In Genesis chapter 40, it came to pass that Pharaoh's private chief butler and private chief baker had fallen into a disfavor with the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so they landed in this special prison for the Pharaoh's prisoners. And Joseph begins to, to interact with these individuals. He has been given a position of responsibility in taking care of prisoners. And so he has much interaction with these prisoners. And these two prisoners, the butler and the baker, both dreamed dreams. And they told Joseph the dreams that they dreamed. And they said, we don't have anyone. There's no magicians here. None of the, the Pharaoh's magicians are here in prison. So we have no magicians who can interpret to us what these dreams mean. And so they were sad, and Joseph said, the dreams belong to God. And he said, tell me what your dreams are. And the butler told him what his dream was. And Joseph said, well, I can tell you what, what God intends you to know from your dream. The end result of your dream is that, is that Pharaoh is going to once again elevate you to the position of being his chief butler, and you're going to be taken out of prison and restored to being the chief butler to the Pharaoh. And the baker was pretty excited. That was a pretty neat interpretation to his dream. So the butler had great anticipation of, of, of what his dream might mean. And so the, the baker told Joseph about his dream. And, and Joseph explained to him what his dream meant. But it wasn't real favorable. In just a short period of time, in three days, he was going to be taken out of prison and hung by the neck until dead. Well, true to Joseph's interpretations, both the, both the butler and the baker were released from prison. One, to assume his previous position as the butler, the, the chief butler who took care of the Pharaoh and the other to the gallows where he was put to death. Now, you remember in the story that before the butler was released from prison, Joseph told him something. Turn back to chapter 40, Genesis chapter 40. And I want you to see how Joseph explained his past to the butler. He knows the butler is going to be Taken out of prison, he knows the butler is going to be restored to Pharaoh. He knows that he is in prison through no fault of his own. And he desires for the butler to become a, a go-between who would tell the Pharaoh about his own, Joseph's own plight. And so in chapter 40 and verse number, let's look at verse number 14. 
chapter 40, verse number 14. But think on me when it shall be well with thee. And show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me unto Pharaoh. And bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. Well, you know the story how the the butler got out was ecstatic that he was taken out of prison, restored to his position, a very important and a lofty position under Pharaoh. And life went on very well for the chief butler. And he totally forgot anything about Joseph in prison. Two years passed by. At the end of two years, Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. He dreams that that there are these seven well-fed cows followed by seven very starved cows. And he dreamed that there were seven healthy, robust shocks of grain followed by seven diseased shocks of grain. And it startled the Pharaoh. What does this dream mean? He called all of his magicians, those who were on his payroll to be able to interpret his dreams and give him counsel. And none of the magicians could give him a satisfactory answer, could interpret his dreams. And so Pharaoh's in a dilemma. He's had these dreams that seem to be important to his kingdom and nobody can explain them to him. And he told the chief butler his dilemma. And that caused the butler to remember. He says, I've I've messed up. He admitted to the Pharaoh. He said to the Pharaoh, I've got to to confess to you that I messed up. There was a man that I met in prison. His name is Joseph. And when I was in prison, I was there with, you remember, your chief baker. And I had a dream when I was in prison. And the chief baker had a dream. And we both were in prison. And there was this guy. He was a prisoner named Joseph. And we told him what our dreams were. And he told us what the dreams meant. He told me that I was going to be taken out of prison and put back into a position of honor as your chief butler. And that's exactly what happened. But he told the baker that he was going to be released from prison and be hanged. That's exactly what happened. Joseph was able to tell us exactly what our dreams meant. Well, Pharaoh fetched Joseph out of prison and told Joseph that he understood that Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams. Joseph said dreams belong to God. Interpretations belong to God. You tell me what your dream was and I'll tell you what I believe God has conveyed to you. In that dream. And so Pharaoh told Joseph of his dreams. And and Joseph told the Pharaoh, I can tell you, God has shown me what your dreams mean. Egypt is going to enjoy seven years of bountiful harvest. And after seven years of bountiful harvest, Egypt is going to experience seven years of horrendous drought. 
He said, I would advise you, king, that you find someone wise to appoint to the business of the next seven years during the times of plenty to be able to gather together the abundance of, of harvest and store them for the coming seven years of great poverty and drought that are coming upon Egypt. Pharaoh said, I don't know of anyone in my kingdom more wise than you, Joseph. And so he elevated Joseph to the position of being the one who had planned for the entire survival of the world when the famine was to come. He gave Joseph a wife. He gave Joseph a, a position of honor and prestige. He gave Joseph great authority and responsibility. And Joseph became second only to Pharaoh in the most powerful nation in the world at the time. Seven years of prosperity came and went. And under Joseph's wise leadership, the nation of Israel stored its grain and prepared for the coming years of famine that Joseph knew were going to be around the corner. So that when the famine came and the people's own provisions were depleted, they could come to Joseph and they could buy back the grain that had been stored for those for these years of poverty. The famine was horrible. It didn't just affect Egypt. It affected the world. The famine affected Israel. And once Joseph's father and his 11 brothers in Israel had depleted all of their agricultural reserves and were at the point of, of famine, Joseph's dad, Jacob, or Israel, told his 11 sons, we need to go to Egypt. I hear there's grain in Egypt. He held back his youngest son, Benjamin, and would not allow Benjamin to go. He sent the ten sons to Egypt to procure grain, sent them with money. And they traveled down to Egypt. They, they met with the people who managed the storehouses. They, they purchased the grain that they had brought money to purchase. And in the process of all that, Joseph saw them and recognized them. They didn't know Joseph. Joseph had changed so much. He probably looked like the average Egyptian young man in a position of nobility and authority. And Joseph engaged them. And knowing who they were, Joseph, Joseph challenged them as to their identity and who they were. They explained who they were. They told the story of their lives. They told that they are the Ten sons of, a, of one man back in Israel who had twelve sons, but one is not. The youngest is back home with dad. And we ten have come to purchase grain. They sold the grain to these ten sons. They, they uh, bundled it all up in their sacks or, or packaged it all up in their sacks of grain and Unknownst to the eleven son or to the ten sons, they also took the, the money that they had brought with them and had paid for the grain. They hid it in each sack. And so that on their way back, 
And when they got back home and opened the sacks of grain, they found the money. They said, what is this? This is, this is the money that we, that we paid for this grain. How did it get back in our sacks? And they had the, the resources back at home to survive a little while longer. They told dad that he wants us to bring the youngest son to prove that our story is true. And dad said, there's no way I'm going to let Benjamin go. They lived on that grain until the grain ran out. And dad said to his ten sons, you need to go back and buy more grain. They said, there's no way we're going to go back unless we take Benjamin with us because they told us that we're spies. They told us that they don't believe our story. They told us the only way they'll believe our story is if we bring the youngest son back with us to prove that our story was true. Dad said, there's no way I'm going to allow my youngest son to go back. They said, we'll not go, Dad. We can't go unless we take Benjamin. Judah spoke up and said, Dad, I'll stand for Judah, for Benjamin. You can, you can... I'll be responsible, fully responsible to you, Dad, for Benjamin. We've got to take Benjamin back. And finally, he agreed. And they sent Benjamin back. As they went back to Egypt and and Pharaoh and, and Joseph saw them and and saw Benjamin and realized who they were, he was ecstatic. Here's Benjamin, my younger brother, my kid brother. He was so excited when he saw them. Joseph, when he saw them, broke down and wept. And he admitted to the ten brothers who he was. Look at what he said in Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45, verse number 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried. Calls every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. That ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it is not you that sent me hither, but God. 
And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me. Thou and thy children and thy children's children and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast, and there will I nourish thee. What a statement from Joseph about his past. And here's the simple lesson. The future provides you an opportunity to reinterpret your past. You see, there were two times Joseph told the story of his past that we just read. Turn back again. Hold your finger there, but turn back again to chapter 40. And look at how Joseph told the story of his past at a time in his life where his emotions were still raw, nursed by years of hurt and mistreatment, filled with a bitter remembrance of what had been done against him and how he had been treated. It was a story of kidnap and injustice. We read it in Genesis 40, verse 15. Joseph said, For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. I was kidnapped. My own brothers had a part in it. Sold into slavery. I was mistreated. I was kidnapped by my own kin. And then, here in the land of Egypt, injustice. I've done absolutely nothing wrong to deserve being in prison. Joseph is a captive to a past that is filled with raw emotion and remembrance and bitterness and hurt. And he tells the story of his past as a story of kidnap and a story of injustice. But then later in life, we just read from chapter 45 that Joseph told the same story. But the story that he tells is different. In chapter 45, in verse number 4, Joseph said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. Where did that verse go? Verse number five, be not angry, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, for God didn't send me before you to preserve life. Verse seven, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity. Verse number eight, so it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Look how Joseph reinterpreted his past. Look how Joseph looks back and he tells the same story again, but he tells it entirely different. When he had told the story before, he was still filled with bitterness, remembrance, hurt, raw emotion. He was still suffering the result of his past. And he told the story as a story of kidnap and injustice. 
But it's different now. He tells the story now from a more mature vantage point. From a position of wisdom. Looking back at God's amazing hand at work through his life. And so he totally reinterprets his story. And now it's not a story of bitterness. Now it's not a story of kidnapping and injustice. Now it's a story of divine providence and redemption. Now it's a story of the hand of God. Preserving you alive. Through the miracle of what God did in my past. I read this statement from a... a a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, who wrote this about this story. He paraphrased it this way. Joseph said, it wasn't you. He tells his brothers it was God. You didn't realize that you were part of a larger plan. And though it began badly, it has ended well. So don't hold yourselves guilty. Do not be afraid of any desire for revenge on my part. There is no such desire in my heart. You see, Joseph realized, finally realized that God was at work doing greater things than he could ever understand and realize at the time. Turn ahead just a couple of chapters to chapter 50, and you see Joseph again telling the story in chapter 50 in verse number 19. Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. These are the ten brothers that did him in. These are the ten brothers that kidnapped him and wanted to murder him and sold him into slavery. These are the ten brothers that Joseph had grown so emotional over, so bitter over. They kidnapped me. But now Joseph says to them, you may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I'm not going to do anything to hurt you. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to take care of your kids. I'm going to take care of everything that you have. And he spake kindly to them. Joseph had come to the time in his life where he could reinterpret his past. Not as a past of kidnap and injustice. Not as a past of bitterness and anger and getting even. Not in a past that blames others for what they intended to do evil to him. But he now sees a bigger picture. A God who had a plan. And who even used the injustice of others to bring about the amazing redemption of the nation of Israel out of famine. And to bring them into, because it was in Egypt that they turned from a family into a nation. Hundreds of years later when they came out, a nation of two million people ready to inhabit the promised land. 
the place where God will send his Messiah one day and will give us a savior and a Bible through this great nation. The same rabbi said this, Joseph is helping his brothers to revise their memory of the past. And in doing so, he is challenging one of our most fundamental assumptions about time. We can change the future. We cannot change the past. What Joseph is doing for his brothers is what he has clearly done for himself. Events have changed his and their understanding of the past. Can you, can you reinterpret the things that have been done against you by people who meant to hurt you? Can you reinterpret your history and cause it to no longer be a history of kidnapping and make it a history of God's providence and the redemption of the future? You know, that's an important that's an important thing to get a hold of in life when life throws us a curveball. When life happens to us and it's not what we planned, it's not what we invited, it's not what we wanted. But we're left to struggle with how we're going to relate to what happened to us. And how we're going to deal with the people that did whatever they did. And how we're going to view life in this time of being mistreated or hurt. What made the difference? What made the difference between Joseph describing his past to the butler as a history, a story of kidnapping and injustice? What changed it from that to a story of divine providence and redemption? You know, God gives us an answer to that. It's kind of it's hid away in chapter 41. Let me close with chapter 41. A couple of simple verses. These verses are of the time after Joseph was taken out of prison and put in a position of taking care of the nation of Egypt. God, through Pharaoh, gave Joseph, two, gave Joseph a wife, gave Joseph two sons. Verse number 50, Genesis 41 and verse 50 says, Unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. Verse number 51 tells us the name of the first son. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Now, someone with a study Bible shouted out good and loud, what does the name Manasseh mean? Forgetting. Forgetting. And then he named his second son in verse 52, in the name of the second, called he Ephraim. Someone shout out, what does the name Ephraim mean? I think I heard it. Fruitful. Manasseh. 
For God said, he hath made me forget all my toil in my father's house. Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. What made the difference in Joseph's life that enabled him to reinterpret his history, his past, from a time of kidnapping and injustice to a time of God's providence and the redemption of of the world was his ability to forget what people did to him. And it was his ability to see the hand of God giving him good things in his present. You know one of the greatest things you'll develop in your life? A good forgetter. A good forgetter is one of the most precious things that you can possess where you just don't remember what they said anymore. And you just don't remember what they did anymore. God gave you the ability to forget the kidnapping and the injustice. And you don't hold them in a prison cell of your own heart for the wrong they did to you and suffer the bitterness and the anger Because of what was done in your past. You were able to forget it. To forget it. And to move on. And enjoy the fruitfulness of what God will do for you. In the new present. The new situation. The new life that you're given to live. And when you can forget. The hurt of the past. And. Grab hold of the fruitfulness of the present. You will be able to reinterpret your past from something that people did against you to the providential hand of God preparing to do something amazing through you. And that can enable you to handle any curveball the devil convinces someone to throw your way and to be able to keep your eyes on God. Instead of on the hurts that people bring to your life. Great important lesson. The lesson of how to reinterpret our past as we keep our eyes on our God.